But we're in week three, and in weeks one and two, what we saw were how the churches in Galatia got trapped in these religious practices that they were doing. Uh, some false teaching was taking place. So over the last few weeks, we saw that these certain false teachers made their way from Jerusalem all the way up into Galatia, which is in the far end of Turkey. Can you say long walk or long camel ride all the way up to that distance? But they went all the way up to these, these churches in Galatia that Paul had just started. And the thing that he was trying to get across to them, the thing that he wanted them to understand was grace, grace, grace is the means of salvation. You don't do anything. God has already done these things for you. But these false teachers have traveled this great distance from Jerusalem, and they begin telling them that, no, if you want to be closer to God, if you want to be a good Christian, they were telling these Gentiles that you got to be keeping with the law of Moses. Specifically, they, they targeted circumcision and convinced these circumcision parties that happened. They told him there's kosher food laws that you're going to have to follow. He said that you have these kosher laws, but you also have moral and rituals that are going to have to be done. There's certain rules that you're going to have to, be, have to do. And so the acceptance before God and for them to be connected with God, he was telling them is going to determine on how well you are in obeying the law. So these false teachers have come in and they're telling them, you have got to obey the law to the T. It was legalism at its finest, but it had been covered with what they thought was true because it was packaged really nicely because these Jewish people that had come, these, these priests, these teachers, they looked at them as they were connected to Abraham. And if these guys are connected to Abraham and Abraham is the father of many nations, then, then they know what they're talking about. And then what we found was that they were putting a law and a weight on them when they were telling them, it's your works that will get you accepted to God of what you do. See, when you don't understand that concept that it is by grace through faith and not through works, we sing songs differently. So when we sing songs like Defender, we understand God is our Defender not because of what we have done, but because of his finished work on the cross is why we, we can sing it in that way. And so Paul here is concerned when he's writing this letter to this assembly of churches and he's telling them, I'm seeing these religious practices being placed on you, and they're a burden. They're holding you back from what God really wants out of your life. And you've fallen into a trap. You've been hoodwinked. You've been bewitched, is what he had said. And he, he, last week we saw the language that Paul used of even saying, you guys are acting like idiots. But I love you. Y'all had that conversation from your parents. Now this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Y'all ever heard that expression? I told them one time, well, let's trade spots. Let's just see, because maybe I, I need the punishment. Let me, let me do the spanking. Let's see how this goes. But today, we're going to find ourselves in Galatians chapter 5, and this is what I would consider to be a turning point in this book, right? So there were some harsh words spoken. Paul's coming after him. He's doing it in a loving way. He doesn't hate them, and he doesn't even hate the false teachers, because even the false teachers, he knows, needs grace, and they need to be released of this teaching. And so he's telling them in, in these chapters, Paul's going to be pointing the people in Galatia back to the real freedom that Jesus had given them. So what we see here in the final verses of chapter 5 is Paul's continuing to confront a, a certain kind of false teaching that has crept up into this church. That has, uh, people have fallen into. And, and this was that they were not choosing law over grace. They were choosing grace, but viewing grace as some kind of license to sin. Here's what the Galatians were now realizing. that Yeah, they were doing all these things, but because we did all these things, we now have a license to do whatever we want because we've been forgiven. Grace going wild right here is, what, is the phrase that I would use. They just went crazy. Well, I can go do this, and I can break these rules because 
Jesus loves me, and Jesus has forgiven me, and I've done all of these things, so I've earned some brownie points over here that God's going to look over these things. So they were choosing to do whatever they wanted. The conversation would be like, if Jesus died for all of my sins, then it doesn't really matter at this point whether I sin or not. God's forgiven me. It's a bad way to live, right? Like, well, I can just do what I want. But Paul tells them in Galatians 5, 1, you've probably heard this verse, and he, he reminds them that they were saved when he says this. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And he goes, stand firm. We're going to talk about that word in just a minute. He says, stand firm. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke, talking about the burden that would be weighing them down for the work that they were doing. So the question is, what did Christ set us free for? Well, it was for freedom that you've been set free. The freedom for what? So what is this, what is this freedom that we're talking about? Because the Galatians think the freedom means no rules, no boundaries. Let's go do what we want to do. And Paul's like, no, there are boundaries. There are still some rules and guiding principles within this. But what Paul's talking about is he's talking about the freedom of love. Because when you love to do something, you don't need to be commanded to do it. Some of you this afternoon are going to go home and you're going to take a nap. Because you love a nap. But nobody's going to command you, hey, you go lay down right now on that couch. If you have kids, you would love to be commanded to be able to have an afternoon nap. But think about the thing that you love. Do you have to be commanded to do that thing? All the hunters in the room. Do you have to be commanded, especially in duck hunting, to get up at 5 a.m. and go sit out in the freezing cold and in Berkeley County not see a single bird? Do you have to be commanded to do that? Oh, no, we love it. Some people would think that you're crazy because you're out in the freezing cold in the middle of the water shooting at air. There's, you don't have to be commanded to do that. So some of us, have to, we have to get this concept is that when we love something, we don't have to be commanded to do that because we just naturally do that because we love that. So when we, we love it, we're not commanded to do it. And so it's almost as if this is kind of a natural thing because it's just natural that I love to do this, so I just do it. But the problem with our relationship with God is that instead of just loving Him, you and I are tempted to try to work our way into making Him love us more that we will have these guidelines of if I do this and if I do this, if I do this, God's going to continue to love me more and more and more. And I just want to set you free this morning. You can't do anything to make God love you any more or any less. God loves you more than we will ever understand, more than we can figure, more than we can ever contemplate. God loves us. And so what happens is we have this temptation to try to work to earn his love that's already been freely given. You're trying to work for something you've already been given. It's a free gift. It's grace. It's unmerited. So here, here's the help with this. Okay, I've been processing this for about a year. I wrote this down on my phone about a year ago when it comes to temptation because our temptation is to jump on to, temptation is to jump on to trying to do these works. Temptation is if I do these things, then, and God's saying, no, no, I don't want you to do these works. So let's think about temptation for a minute. The little help that comes with, tempt, when we come to dealing with temptation, we do not need to fight the temptation of works. Well, how do we not be tempted if we're not fighting the works? Don't fight temptation. The best defense to temptation is being in love with God. 
I'm going to say it this way. Temptation. The temptation is a test of my relationship, not of self-control. Temptation is a test of my relationship with God, not my self-control. Now, we, I think we get that backwards sometimes, don't we? Well, I'm being tempted. God's just trying to get my self-control. He's trying to make sure I don't fall. No, because when we're tempted by anything else, our eyes become off of God because God is everything we need. And we're tempted with other things that look more lucrative and better than what God is. Temptation is trying to decide what my relationship with God is, not my self-control. So when you're in love, you lose your appeal for temptation because nothing else matters. I hope every guy in the room would agree with me that your spouse is the love of your life. There is nothing else, no other woman that holds comparison to who she is. I hope that's true. It should be. Because when you're in love, you lose that appeal for temptation to other things, don't you? Does this make sense? The Bible says, if you love me, and there's a comma, you will keep my commands. Not, hey, if you love me, you will do everything that I tell you to. That's the way we read that, isn't it? That's the way I read it, I read it growing up. Like, well, I've got to do all these things if I love God. I've got to follow. No, no, God says, read it this way. Hey, if you love me, you'll do what I ask you to. That's the way it reads in the original language. No, no, because you love me, you will just naturally do these things because I won't, you won't have to be commanded to do the commands because you will love me and you'll be like, well, because I love God, I want to do these things. Because you love your spouse, you do these things. You do things that maybe you normally wouldn't do. Ladies, sometimes you'll sit on the couch and watch football. You don't know anything about it, but you love your spouse, you'll do it. Guys, sometimes you'll find yourself watching the notebook for the 15th time. You don't know why. It's because you love your wife. And we know you cry, and you, we know deep down inside you like it, and it's okay. I liked it, and that's why I use that as an illustration. Confessions. God says, if you love me, then you'll do what I command. The commands of God are not burdensome. They, they, they are not a burden to us. That's what 1 John 5, 3 says. The commands of God aren't a burden. They're not heavy. If the commands are God, if his commands are a burden to us, then it's not the command that's the problem. It's our love relationship with God that's the problem. It's our love relationship with God that's going to be the problem, not the command. Don't focus on the commands. Focus on loving Jesus. Focus on loving Jesus. So Paul here is reminding them, of the freedom they have in Jesus. Don't keep going back to feeling like you've got to do all these things. But also, you don't have a license to do whatever you want. Because when you're with the Spirit, there's a way that you live, and it's natural. Because when you have the Spirit, you want to do these things because you love God. And not because you have to. And so he's telling them, your life will look different if you'll just trust me on what I'm about to tell you. If you will learn to live in true freedom, if you will realize that freedom is here for you to enjoy, to live life to the fullest as Jesus has come and told you. So he says, as we begin to live in true freedom with these things, and we have to remember that God's desire through all of this is to change our hearts so that we can love him without even being commanded to. 
that we just love him. He doesn't say, well, you're going to love me regardless of what you feel and what you, you're going to love me. Some of us put our, sometimes we see God like that, don't we? That he's forcing, God's not forcing himself on us. But he's, he loves us. And he says this, that God's desire is to change our hearts so that we love him without being commanded to. So obeying the great commandment, obeying loving God and loving people feels a lot more like freedom than it does like works. Because that's, that's faith in the gospel. That is God working through the gospel. Look at this phrase that he says. Paul says this in verse 1. He says, stand firm. Stand firm in this. Because what happens is that you're going to easily want to waver away from this. Because you're going to start getting right back to thinking you can do whatever you want. and Because you've earned your way in. And Paul says, no, no, no. You stand firm. Therefore, do not submit again. It's a reminder. You've already done this once, remember? So don't do it again. Don't get tied back into a yoke of slavery. Don't get weighed down with burdens that you were never meant to carry. In other words, he says, stand firm in that faith. Don't, back, don't go back into the law again. The phrase stand firm here is a military term that, they, that, that Paul uses. It means that we have to fight to stay in the faith. Because we got to keep our minds right that, yeah, this looks really good. And if I do these things, we buy into that philosophy and that theology. But he's saying you got to protect your mind. It's a fight. It's a spiritual battle that's happening right here in our heads. That we begin thinking that if we do all these things. And Paul says you got to stand firm in this thought. When the enemy comes and reminds you that you do these things, you got to remember what I'm telling you right now. It was for freedom that you were set free. And he's saying, do not forget that Jesus' blood was shed for you. His resurrection was for you. Don't go back to the former things that kept you in bondage and apart from God. You, can, you, can you feel the love that Paul's having for these people compared to what we read last week? He's saying, stand firm. And what I love about Paul is he's saying, stand firm, I'm standing with you. Because I'm right here. I came here because I wrote this letter and I'm going to come back and see you because this bothered me and I want you to stand firm because it's a battle. There's some thoughts and some questions that are, that are gravitating them away from the thing that Jesus gave them. And if we're not careful, what will happen if we forget why Jesus died for us? We will find ourselves gravitating right back to works. We will not be in freedom anymore from, that, that we find in the gospel. What will end up happening is we're going to find ourselves into a dark dungeon where we'll be chained to religion and works. Lonely. So we have to actively keep ourselves in that faith. Actively seek relationship with Jesus so that we don't drift back into a works righteousness thinking. That is that we can save ourselves that I've got this, that I'm the CEO of my life and I can do whatever I want because I know what I'm doing. The reformer Martin Luther said this, we must constantly preach the gospel to ourselves because our hearts are hardwired for works righteousness. Isn't that the truth? Wise words from a long time ago. Martin Luther, the reformer, here's what he's saying. It's so easy for us just to drift back to works because that's what we think. We, we can earn our way in. Because remember, that's the culture that we live in, right? We, we earn things. We earn grades. We earn paychecks. We earn 
um, I don't know, whatever you earn, you earn these things. And so you, you have to, it's, it's a concept that you've got to understand that we can't see Scripture from the same eyes that we see the world with right now because it's so far different. And he says, Martin Luther's telling us that our hearts are just so hardwired for works, right? Because we feel like we've got to do all these things because sometimes we just live in shame. And maybe if I just do these things, I won't feel shameful anymore. It's kind of like having a car out of alignment. Anybody ever had a car out of alignment? Like, mine's kind of out of alignment right now. I've been fighting it, like literally been fighting it for the last, I'm not going to tell you how long. I'm kind of ashamed of that. But mine needs to be aligned right now because, you know, the roads here in South Carolina are wonderful. Uh, potholes and those things do not exist. But if I take my hands off that steering wheel for just one second, that car just naturally wants to just glide its way on over into the other lane and down into the trees and go take a visit to the forest. It just wants to dart off the road. So I have to keep my hands on the wheel and pay attention. This is what Paul's saying. You and I have these same tendencies as a car out of alignment. The moment that we take our hands off the wheel and we're not standing firm and we fall into the traps of what the enemy's trying to set for us, we will easily just gravitate into the ditch of works righteousness. We do works, we have right standing with God. Believing that is on us, that makes us closer to God and not through the spiritual life that Jesus is producing in our lives that makes us closer to God. So Paul's just given us his warning, be very careful, stand firm. You're out of alignment. This is how you got here. Your, your church has just drifted so far because it's out of alignment and nobody stopped to check it because you bought into some things that you thought were okay. You never questioned it. You never looked at it. Now look what Paul's saying. He gives them this warning in, in chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. He used that word brothers again. See, last chapter's idiots. He's back to brothers. He's, trying, he's, he's fixing to close the letter. You don't want to leave on a bad note. He says, Only do not use it as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, this whole do whatever you want thing doesn't fly. This is not the way this works. So don't, don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Because there are people that are in shackles to sin and don't realize it, and you're free. Use it to help them. Serve them in love. Because they don't know what love is. Because they don't know who God is. And his word says in 1 John that God is love. Are you picking up on kind of what Paul's trying to say here? Like, understand that you have been set free. But you use that to serve other people so that they too can be free and not trapped in laws and work-based righteousness. So Paul's telling them, use it. Use this freedom in Christ as an opportunity. As an opportunity not of your flesh and not as an opportunity of your own sinful desires, but use it to help people, to love people, to point them towards Jesus. So there's this tension that's happening right now. There's these two groups. You've got the Gentiles now that, that are being told that, listen, you bought into the lie of works, and now, you've, now what you've done is you added something on top of it because we're really good at taking rules and adding things on top of it, right? And he said, you've added these rules because you went from, we did all these things and we did the circumcision stuff and we, we, we good, but it's almost like because we did these, now God owes us a favor. Y'all have those friends that like, hey, let me help you out. And you know the moment they help you out, they're going to be coming back to you in about three months. You help them, 
move a car. You picked them up from, from work. That was a favor, and now they're going to call back next month. You're going to help them put up a brand-new fence, build it from scratch, those kind of people. So they did all these works, and they thought that now God owed them. And so since God owed them, what they would do is they would just take, just kind of make some expenditures and just do whatever they wanted to. That was group one. The other group were the Jewish teachers who Paul was talking to them as well, saying, hey, so your, your thing, you have to do all these things to have a relationship with God. That's wrong too. So there's this tension between these two groups. It's almost like their attention has turned from one another almost down to Paul. Now he's got their attention. And it's beginning to escalate. So you got the Jewish influence here that they were saying, we need the law in order to provide guidance and protections, protection and to resist the face of these sinful desires. In other words, the false teachers are saying, we live by the law. And the law is all we need. And then the, the second group were the Galatians. And they were a much easier doctrine of just, oh, live how you want. God loves you. It's all good. Don't worry about the consequence because there is none because he loves us. So live how you want to live. These sinful desires don't really matter. Jesus sets you free. You're good. But then Paul comes in and says, hey, your way's wrong and your way's wrong. I have a third way. The only way. He says, my way is live by the Spirit. You got to live by the Spirit. Paul says, hey, you, you say live by the law and you say live how you want, but there's another way, and this is living by the Spirit. If you don't want to get caught in work-based theology and thinking that works save you, if you don't want that to happen, you got to live by the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who, you know, we've already talked about the Holy Spirit. had a whole series on it. If you want to go back and listen to that, that's on our website. But remember, the Holy Spirit was here for our advantage. That's what the Scripture said. He was here as a teacher. He was here as a comforter. He was here as a counselor. He was here to help us, right? And he said, if you want to live, you're missing the key component because neither one of you are living by the Holy Spirit. Because if you live by the Holy Spirit, you're not just going around doing whatever you want. And so Paul says this in, in verses six, 16 through 18. He says, but I say... This is the third way, walk by the Spirit. And you will not, this is his problem, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. If my body wants to do it, my mind's telling me no, but my body is telling me yes. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two things are opposed to each other. These two things want to fight each other because what I want to do and what the Spirit wants to do are in direct conflict because of my depravity. And he says these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under this law anymore. You're under grace. So Paul's saying you're both wrong. There's another way. And there's a way of the Spirit. So instead of trying to live under the restraints of the law, that they should keep walking. This is a verb. This is a present imperative. It says keep living or by in the Spirit. And if you do that, Paul says, guess what? You're not going to gratify these things of the flesh. You're not going to want to be fulfilled and bring to completion the desires of your sinful nature. Because you're going to automatically want to do the things that God wants you to do. And you won't have to be commanded to do it. It will just be natural because you will love him. So Paul emphasizes in this point 
even more because he uses a double negative in the Greek language. In verse 16, when he says, if you're walking in the Spirit, you will. It's almost as he says, if you're walking in the Spirit, you will. Let me tell you again, you will. And this is the way it would read because he's getting their attention. He says, you will not ever be gratified by the desires of the flesh. You will only be satisfied when you follow the Spirit and allow Jesus to do the work in your life. That's fulfillment. He says, because the Spirit of God is diametrically opposed to the desires of the flesh. It is dead set against it. Because the desires of our flesh are opposed to God's desires for us. It's this tension, it's this battle, it's this fight. This is why we, we have this disposition just to want to do bad. We don't teach our kids to be bad. We don't teach them to lie and not share and to steal things and to put their hands on things like the stove when we tell them not to. It is, what do we have to teach? How many of you have a class on Bad Parenting 101? This is how to make your kids bad. We were all bad kids at some point. Some of you are like, mm mama said I was a perfect angel. Because your mama's bad and she doesn't want to recognize it. But we all had this disposition of sin because we were born into it. We teach our kids to be loving and to be sharing and to care and be kind. And why, why does that happen? Because we so easily drift away from the things that we were created to be anyway. That was supposed to be natural. So my, I mean... Somebody cuts you off in traffic. That's where you really say, okay, this is a desire of the flesh right now. What is the Spirit trying to say? When that person gives you the, the evil eye across the, the room, and you have some words, that, that's the desire of the flesh. And the Spirit has something else to speak into that. And so here, Paul's emphasizing this. He's not saying that your body's bad and your soul is good. He, we know that because there, in just a minute, we're going to see a lot of wicked flesh things that Paul's going to list out for us because he wants us to be very aware of what's happening. He wants us to understand that, that this list is, is a bunch of heart things. It's not body things. And Paul tells us to glorify God with our bodies. So he uses this word flesh. And in flesh here, it really means it's the unrenewed part of us that still has this desire to sin because there's still a piece of us that just wants to be bad, Right? I mean, just be honest. There's just a piece of us that causes, it's like, oh, if we just had this, if I could just do this, if I could just say what I want to say here. Like some of you wanted to create fake Facebook and Instagram accounts just so that you can comment and not feel guilty and people know who you truly were. But it's just what Paul's saying. The works of the flesh are obvious because he starts in verse 18 and he's going to give us a list of 16 different characteristics that you and I, we're going to call the decaying fruits of the faith. These things decay us. They eat away at us. Okay, And he's going to explain these things. And so starting in verse 19, Paul continues to explain the difference between the way of the Spirit and the way of the flesh. And now he's taken, he's already painted, like, here's your problem. You think it works. You think you can do what you want. I'm telling you it's by the Spirit. So now I'm going to separate these things. I'm going to take you two that were in two different categories, and I'm going to show you that you're actually in one, because if you're in that category, you're in the wrong one. You need to be over here with the Spirit, because you're eating decaying fruit of your flesh, and it is not good for you. So he says in verse 19, he begins 
reading off these oppositions. And he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. You want to know if the works of the flesh are happening in your life? He says there's sexual immorality. There's impurity. Uh, there's, a, there's idolatry. There's sorcery. There's, uh, there's all these other things. I don't want to read through all these because I, I want to really pin down. Uh, he, he says evil drunkenness, orgies, things like these. You know, things that you probably write and tell people to stop doing. He said, but I warn you, I warn you, I warn you. This is a war- I want you to understand this is a warning. I want to get, he's, Paul's constantly trying to get their attention. I don't know if they were, he was worried about him falling asleep in church or what had happened, but he's trying to get attention. He said, I want to warn you as I warned you before. You remember, he, keep, he keeps reminding them. Do you remember? I already told you this one time. So I'm going to warn you again like I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Understand this. The first three characteristics of decaying fruit listed are sexual because our depravity often, often reveals itself more in this area, more than any other area. That's why he says sexual immorality and moral impurities and promiscuity, which means uncontrolled sexuality. This is what he's talking about. In verse 20, we find two more words that have to do with the corrupted religion that comes out of a deprived heart. He says idolatry. That's where you love other things more than God. You put other things in place of God. Sorcery, when you're trying to manipulate God by having... Uh, you're going to manipulate God through a good luck charm or some ritual or some word of faith teaching that if I do this, God's going to do this and this sorcery. We, we wouldn't call it sorcery today, right? Because we've, we've kind of modernized demonism in, in America, but we wouldn't call it what it is, and it's sorcery. Verse 21, Paul gives us eight words. Now, I would say um, we, civilize, we make witchcraft civilized today. That's what I would say. In verse 21, Paul gives us these eight words that describe relational conflicts. He talks about hatred, he talks about strife, he talks about jealousy, he talks about outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. These are the things that Paul calls. And finally, these three words are also found in verse 21 that refer to substance abuse. So he talks about drunkenness and, and all those things that lead to that, and, and where you need a hit of something to release dopamine in order for you to feel alive. That's what Paul's referring to. He said whether that comes from alcohol or drugs or pornography or bullying or getting, getting likes on social media, any of these things that you feel like it's got to pop your dopamine so you can get some kind of reaction, this is what Paul's saying in these final three words here, the substance abuse. And then Paul utters the words, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do or practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In the Greek, the verb do is what we call the present participle. And so those who are doing, so he's saying, those who are doing such things, as in, you're categorized by that. Like you probably know some people that you've already categorized as things like, you don't believe anything he says because he lies 99.9% of the time. We categorize people. This is what Paul's saying. And he says that, I warn you that those who do, those that practice, in order words, those who have already been labeled, because it's just normal. It's just a part of their life that they're just fine with it. We're just going to do as we want to do. He says, that's what I'm talking about. And then he uses this little word called practice. And the word practice means habitual. It's a habit. You just do it. You know, some of it, your spouses have bad habits. Y'all are so scared to answer right now because you know what's going to happen if you answer and your spouse looks over. Some of your spouses have bad habits. You don't want to admit it, but you do. Let's just be honest. You have any bad habits? Like you can't, you just, it just, natu- it just happens and you realize somebody tells you, here's mine, and you'll probably notice this now and I'm kind of calling myself out. If we're ever sitting at a table for a long amount of time with each other, my leg's going to start shaking. 
It's not that I'm over the conversation. It's not, it's not that, God, you're getting on my nerve. I don't know what it is. It just happens. I don't even notice it. The only time I notice it is when my wife grabs my leg and goes, stop. You're shaking the table. You're shaking the whole bench. You're shaking everything. I don't know where it is. It just happens. And so we have these things that we just naturally do. It's, and this is what Paul said. It's just a habit. It's just repeated. It just laps. You just keep doing the thing, same thing over and over. He said, if you delight in those things, so if you delight in doing the sin over and over and over and over again, if you delight in that, you're not going to see the kingdom. Because you know what is right, but you choose to continue doing wrong. And you're trying to hide your sin and, and forgiveness in the fact that I've done all these things, so I'm just making withdrawals from my account that I've made all these deposits in because I've done all these wonderful things for God. But look at this. He's, when, when we, unhealthy fruit, because we're going to talk about the fruits here one second. Unhealthy fruit comes from shallow roots with no production. So they had unhealthy fruit because these were decaying fruits of the flesh, right? All these things, Paul says, you don't live by the Spirit. These things happen. They're traps for you. But he moves on, and he says, healthy fruit comes from deep roots. If you want, if you want your fruit to grow and be healthy, it's got to have some deep roots. It's got to be grounded. And when you're planting, you're not looking and judging that plant and just waiting on the fruit to happen. Your biggest thing that you've got to worry about is that the roots take hold. Are the roots strong enough? Are they getting the, the nutrients that they need? So you don't grow fruit by focusing on the fruits. Fruit happens naturally when the roots are deep and healthy. So, in other words, you won't grow spiritually by trying to add love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control to your life. But you'll grow spiritually by driving your roots deep into Christ. And the more you embrace His love and promise in the gospel, the more the spiritual fruits will appear you ready? Naturally. Because you'll want to do these things. Look what he says, Galatians 5. You've all heard this verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is, some of you are going to probably sing it in your mind because you grew up in Sunday school. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul's saying the more that you soak yourself into the love of Jesus, the more these fruits will just naturally appear. They'll just happen. Why? Because you can't experience Jesus and not develop these things. You can't be in the presence of God and not develop these things. It's natural. So if you go back through that list, love, joy, peace, go back through that list and think about it. Jesus is... Love, he's your peace, he's your kindness, he's your goodness, he's your gentleness. He's all these fruits of the Spirit, Paul is saying, these are what Jesus was for you. And this is what he's calling you to be, are these things. Because when we walk in the Spirit, these things naturally happen. When we focus on Jesus, these fruits naturally happen because the root system is being grounded in Christ. So if you're going to memorize this list, memorize it less as a list of things that you should do and more of a description of who Jesus was for you. And as you do that, sin's going to begin to lose its grip in our life. So notice how Paul concludes the letter here. He says, the law is not against such good things. Like, 
you've never been arrested for having too much self-control. You've been arrested for not having self-control. You've never been arrested for loving too much. You've never been arrested for being too patient. You notice that when you have these characteristics, people tend to like you more because you're patient and loving and caring and kind and all these things. And Paul's saying there's no law against these things. Another way to say it is people like this don't need laws because nobody gets put in jail for being too good, too self-controlled, too kind. So when a life is characterized by the fruits of the Spirit, there is no need for a law to restrain it. Paul says you don't need that law. The law was there for a reason, but Jesus came and died. That law is not needed anymore. We're under grace now. And loving Jesus produces everything we need to be doing in our life. He said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God, love people. Do you know when he said that, he was summarizing the entire Ten Commandments in those two things? Because half of the Ten Commandments are about our relationship with other people, like don't murder other people. And the other half is about our, our relationship towards God. Don't have any false idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Because they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he just summed them all up and went. They were trying to trick him so they could kill him, but he was smarter than they were. And so he's saying, when you do these things, this is the law. Because when you love me, these things come naturally. So remember, Paul says in verse 14 of this chapter, he says, love. Love was the first word in the list that he gave us. Because love actually fulfills the law. It was his love for us. And the law is against the flesh, but the law is fulfilled in the spirit. So Paul undoubtedly puts this one, this one thing, this, this love, he puts it first to show the primacy. That if we get this one right, everything else falls into place. If we can just learn to love him and learn to love other people, everything else falls into place. All the others are just an extension of the love. Genuine love towards God is the greatest treasure. Paul goes on to say, we're about to wrap up here. There's so much. We could do like 50 weeks on Galatians if we wanted. Um, but he says this in Galatians 5.24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So how is it possible for the Spirit to produce these fruits in your life or in my life? Because those who truly belong to Jesus have been crucified. They've put himself to death. They've put the sins to death, and they have allowed Jesus to work within them. So Paul talked about the same concept in Galatians 2.20 when he said, For I've been crucified with Christ. It's not me that lives, it's Christ that lives. He's, he's replicating that back. And this is the starting point for every one of us, that we have to be crucified with Jesus. Our flesh and our desires have to be put to death. Paul comes full circle here in this last piece. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. He says, even though your old self has been crucified, and even though you've died with Christ, you now live with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we know, if we now live because of the Spirit's work, then we should continue in living according to the work of the Spirit. If, if, his work is, if He's working with our lives. And the phrase here that Paul uses it says this, let us keep in step. The word he uses here is what it means to walk behind a leader in a line. That leader will get you where you need to go. He knows where you're going. He knows what you need. He'll equip you with everything that you need if you'll just go where he tells you to go. He says, so keep in step with God's spirit. If you'll keep in step, there'll be no biting. There'll be no devouring one another in pride. There'll be no jealousy. These are the very things that Paul just told them in verse 15. If you'll do these things I talked about in verse 15, they won't matter. 
Because what Paul's talking about here is true spirituality. Walk by the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. The only spirituality that is of any real enduring value is the spirituality that comes from the Spirit of God. Paul makes this point, 1 Corinthians, last verse. He says, Now we have received not a spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in the words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So Paul's saying, you want to live this life and not get caught in the traps, not get caught in the temptation. It's about your love relationship with Jesus. Stop trying to do all these things. Just love Jesus. The gospel is simple, but we complicate it, don't we? What would your life look like this week if you just took five minutes and sat down with your scriptures and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you? Did you know like just a second in the presence of God is better than a thousand seconds anywhere else because of what he can do in the power of of that one second what can he do with just a few moments of your day Here, here's our whole point we have victory over our fleshly desires if we stay focused on walking in the spirit walk in the spirit so my prayer this morning for you and we pray for you this morning is just asking God to release you of that because see sometimes we get caught up not in just the works of like we got to do these things because this is what church stuff is we also get caught up in the works of like, well, well I got to strive. Because some of you are thinking, well, I just need, I look at that list. I need to love a little bit more. Or I need to be a little bit more self-controlled. No, no. What you need is to love Jesus a little bit more. And he will work those things out in your life. Because the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to those things and show you how to fix them. Isn't that a lot more freeing? Because when I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so much more freeing. Because I always felt like I could never, I, I tried to do, I tried to love people more. I tried not to have bad attitudes towards people. I tried to speak positive, but it was so difficult. But now that I just shifted to say, I'm just going to love Jesus and let everything else fall into place, those things have just come naturally. They don't bother me anymore. Because Jesus is the primary thing. Everything else has become secondary. I want to pray for you this morning as we, as we get ready to close. Father, I thank you so much this morning that your word stands alone. And Lord, I just pray there's a release that needs to happen. There's a release that we think that we have to do all these things to have, have a relationship with you. There's not. God, we just need to repent of our sin and follow you. And we follow you with countless other people here and journey together. So Father, I just pray that there would be a release and a freeing of what you're trying to do in our lives. That we'll move all the bondage and all the burdens out of the way and just focus on who you are. And we love you and thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you that you alone are more than enough. You are more than enough for us. We don't need anything else. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.